Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray for your help tonight. Uh, We pray for your blessing. We pray that you would inspire us with an identity that is rooted firmly in the Lord Jesus Christ and a purpose that comes from him. And we ask it in his precious name and for your glory. Amen. Well, please do sit down. As you are sitting down, if you could uh, be turning back in your Bibles to the second of the readings we just had. That's Matthew chapter 5, uh, page 968, 968 in the church Bibles. Also within the uh, bundle of papers that you were given on the way in is um, an outline of where we're going tonight. You might want to follow along using that. Now, a little earlier this year, uh, this is back when it wasn't raining, uh, my wife Catherine and I uh, found some time uh, to go for a walk in the peaks on our own together, which, uh, which was wonderful. And it was a, a very beautiful day, and we were coming down uh, Kinder Scouts. Uh, but then she asked me a very searching question, which took me uh, somewhat by surprise. She, she asked this, she said, what words would you use to describe yourself? How would you uh, describe yourself identity. And I have to say, he doesn't often ask me questions like that. It was a, that was a bit surprising for a start. Um, I think, actually, she'd just been uh, reading about this uh, recently in a book. But whatever the reason was for her asking that, those questions, it, it did caught, catch me short. Uh, you see, I know the right Christian answer to those questions. Uh, it has to do, of course, with being a, a forgiven sinner, with being adopted by God into his family and sent out to serve in his name. You know, so I knew all those things. Those things were in my head. But that wasn't what first came to mind. What came to mind was all sorts of other things about myself. Some, some of them, quite, I think, quite deeply un- unhelpful things. And I have to say, that did, it did shock and, and humble me at the time. And it was very obvious at, at that moment that I desperately needed to relearn what it means to have a, a true Christian identity and purpose. So let me ask the same questions to you tonight. What words would you use to describe yourself? Uh, how would you describe your self-identity? Just think about that uh, for a moment. Uh, and if the answer is, is, is not quite as it should be, well, you've come to the right place. Because we have uh, a passage before us this evening in uh, Matthew chapter 5, in which the Lord Jesus himself encourages, encourages us in our true identity and our true purpose. We all want identity and, and purpose of some sort, Uh, So what a a great place to be tonight. But although the answers to uh, a true identity and a true purpose are right here in front front of us in the the Bible, I do need to warn you first that it may be that some of us here tonight will will, will struggle to find what's here. It, It may be that you've come along tonight and you're not yet close enough to grasp hold of them. Now, take a look at me with the first two verses of chapter 5. Uh, we began to look at these a couple of weeks ago. This is 
how the chapter begins. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up onto a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now, in other words, as Jesus speaks this sermon, he has a double audience in front of him. So there's this crowd uh, that has been flooding in from, from all the regions around, a vast crowd. They're really interested in what Jesus is all about. They're really interested in what he's been doing. But they're not yet his disciples. It's those whom Jesus has already made into his disciples. It's those people who come close to him at this moment. And he teaches them. His eyes, as he teaches, are on them. They're not on the crowd. Although it becomes very clearly aware, he is very clearly aware that they're listening in. So I want to, to think about that just for a moment. And think about how this passage, this, this, this opening to the sermon, would, would sound uh, from afar, from someone in the crowd. Imagine for a moment that you are in that crowd. How would it sound to someone listening in from the margins like that? Well, as you glance through, I think all this talk of uh, blessings here in chapter 5 would, I imagine, it would sound great, wouldn't it? It would sound very, very good and potentially accessible because it's quite general, isn't it? But as you listen, you might begin to wonder, is this really for me? All this talk of being meek, all this talk of being pure in heart, all this talk of being persecuted. It all sounds a bit discouraging, hard. It doesn't sound like much fun at all. And by the time Jesus gets to verse 13, you would know from the crowd that this is most certainly not for you, not yet, not directly anyway. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them alone, you, you are the salts of the earth. If I'm in the crowd at that moment, I'm excluded from what Jesus is saying. And anyway, what does Jesus mean by that? What does he mean by salt of the earth? It's obscure to me as he's saying that. It could mean all sorts of things, couldn't it? Likewise, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Well, it sounds like a, a, you know, a sort of positive role, but what is it exactly? In other words, from the margins, from the crowd, you can probably see that there's something good here. There's something good in what Jesus is saying. Really good, in fact. And you're impressed. You're intrigued. You're interested. But you're not quite sure if you want to sign up for it yet. You're not quite close enough, really, to grasp hold of it. Well, if that would uh, describe you here uh, this evening, I don't want to begin by imploring you. Come closer. Come out of the crowd. Uh, barge your way to the front. I want you to imagine yourself in that crowd and, um, and suddenly Jesus, who has been looking directly at his disciples, perhaps shifts his gaze and looks now directly at you straight into your eyes. And he says to you, as he says later in Matthew's Gospel, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
Become one of my disciples. Learn from me. So go on. Come, come to Jesus at this point for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you can find this identity and purpose for yourselves. Now that indeed will be a, a very wonderful consequence from this passage this evening. But I suppose the people I really want to focus on this evening are those of us who would, would already describe ourselves as disciples of Jesus. So now let's suppose that, that we're not in the crowd. Uh, in fact, now let's suppose what I'm going to call in these talks that we are uh, Matthew 28 disciples. We began to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, so do download that talk if you, if you weren't here then. And what I mean by that, what I mean by a Matthew 28 disciple is, is that uh, we've been through the whole humbling experience of being a disciple in Matthew's Gospel and, and, and we're effectively standing on the mountain at the other end of the Gospel, right at the, uh, right at the, the close of the Gospel, hearing Jesus declare that because of what he's done, because of his death and resurrection... Uh, This is true, and the verses from Matthew 28 are on the handout, so you don't need to turn them up. Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and he commissions them. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. And as Matthew 28 disciples, we come down from that mountain uh, feeling what? Um, elated? Daunted? Uh, probably both of those things. Uh, we've just heard the task that Jesus has given us uh, to make disciples in the nations. And part of that task, verse 20, is to teach them. To teach them everything he has commanded. And I think we can imagine those very first disciples uh, chatting with one another as they came down that mountain, perhaps saying to one another, can anyone actually remember what Jesus taught us? Uh, Did anyone make any notes? Thankfully, someone did take notes. Jesus, no doubt, made sure of that. And according to Matthew, the very first block of teaching those first disciples would have had to remember would have been, yes, where we are in Matthew's Gospel, the sermon on the mount. And what I hope we're going to see this evening is that in this, um, Jesus' introduction to the sermon, this is verses 3 to 16 of Matthew chapter 5, uh, what Jesus says will deeply encourage us as Matthew 28 disciples. His aim is to encourage and motivate his disciples in their family identity and their family purpose, their family identity served by him and their family purpose sent out to serve with him. And it all begins with a very strong note of encouragement. This is in verses uh, 3 through to 12. First of all, be encouraged, says Jesus. Be encouraged in your family identity and purpose. Now, uh, we'll spend slightly less time here because we had a in fact, a whole sermon series on these verses just before Christmas, these verses that are often called the, the Beatitudes. Now, but I think it's helpful now just to look at them briefly as a whole. And if we were any, in any doubt that these verses are here to encourage us, then just look at the word which is highlighted and emphasized ten times here. Blessed. Blessed. These people 
are under the approval of God. But who are they? Well, take a look with me and uh, notice that Jesus divides these blessings into two parts. He he uses the word uh, righteousness, a a word that we're going to talk about much more next week. You can see it in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then again in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And the first block of those those blessings, the first four of the Beatitudes, Jesus does seem to be describing the identity of those who come under God's blessing. This is in verses 3 to 6. Be encouraged, says Jesus, in a humble longing to be aligned with all that God is doing in the world through him. What's the the portrait that Jesus is painting here? Well, verses 3 and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn. That is, blessed are those who are feeling utterly crushed under the shadow of death, acknowledging that they're devoid of any resources to deal with it. But verse 5, blessed are the, the meek or the humble. That is, blessed are those who are in that situation, but they're not fighting against God or or their neighbours because of it. They're they're neither shaking their fist at him uh, nor grasping at what others have around them. They have their arms down, if you like. They are surrendering before him. That is, verse 6, longing desperately to be part of God's purposes and expressing his will. Or to connect these uh, four verses with what we were saying earlier, this is a portrait of a disciple going up the mountain in Matthew 28. Someone who has been humbled. Someone who, like Peter in the Gospel, has been brought to accept personal failure. Someone ready and willing to be served by Jesus, the servant, for the forgiveness of their sins. And you can see to such people that Jesus makes extraordinarily bold promises here. Theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. That time in the future when heaven and earth is reunited under the rule of God, they have a share in it. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. Their hunger to be a part of God's purposes and expressing his will, that hunger shall be satisfied. On the other hand, the second block of blessings does seem to be describing the the purpose or the, the function of those under God's blessing. This is in verses 7 to 12. Be encouraged, says Jesus, in openly doing God's will because of him. What's the portrait that Jesus is painting now? Well, verses 7 to 9, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. That is, blessed are those who are actively godly in the world, displaying the character of God the character of a God who is reaching out to the world with mercy and purity and peace. Or to connect these verses with what we were saying earlier, this is a portrait of a disciple of Jesus coming down the mountain in Matthew 28. Someone who, having been served by Jesus, has now been brought into his servant work for the world, sent out to make disciples. And Jesus is teaching them here that that is going to involve reaching out much as Jesus has been reaching out with mercy and purity and peace. 
But of course, reaching out as Jesus has been reaching out will inevitably mean suffering as Jesus has suffered. You can see that here very explicitly. So in verse 11, Blessed are you when people persecute you because of me. Because of me. And Jesus reminds them in the very next verse, it has always been so for those sent out to proclaim God in the world. And that is the note on which these verses end. So if you have come here tonight feeling uh, broken and lost... Jesus says, be encouraged. But most especially, if you've come here tonight feeling wounded because of your association with Jesus Christ, again, be encouraged. Hear these formal promises to those humbled to be served by Jesus, those willing to serve in his name. Take comfort. Be encouraged. Keep going. And if you come back in weeks to come and find Jesus' teaching uh, in this sermon very stretching, and I can, I can assure you, you will, then actually it's these verses. This is where to come back to. Uh, when that happens, let Jesus convict and humble you. Then come back here uh, to what we might call the safety net at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. And as you come here, be encouraged to rediscover your identity and purpose in him, and so be ready to be taught by him uh, once again. But I think we'd have to say that in the the whole of this introduction, there's more than just encouragement here. There's more than just encouragement. There's also a challenge and a motivation. And this is uh, verses 13 through to 16. Jesus' famous metaphors of salt and light. Now Jesus says, be motivated... Be motivated in your family, identity, and purpose. Be motivated first, says Jesus, to maintain your family identity. You can see it there in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Now, I was saying earlier that if we took that little phrase on its own, it could mean all sorts of things. Is Jesus talking about salt? As a preservative, is he, is he talking about preserving rotten society from decay or something like that? Or what is he talking about? Uh, the metaphor of salt is used in all sorts of different ways across the Bible and beyond. Now, what I'd like you to do now, if you've heard uh, and read these verses before, is to put everything you've thought about before just to one side for a moment and, and try and look at this verse with some fresh eyes. And he let's approach this verse as we've been approaching the whole of the sermon as Matthew 28 disciples. Remembering that coming down that mountain in Matthew 28, the words of Jesus that would be ringing in the disciples' ears would have been these. Remember the last words from Matthew 28? Uh, they're on the handout. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that is what is sometimes known as a covenant oath. Now you might know that a covenant is something that ties people together in close relationship, uh, much as they might be tied together in a marriage or in a, in a family. And part of what binds them together in that, in that covenant relationship are promises like this one, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All of which means that when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, back here in chapter 5, He's almost certainly alluding to what in the Old Testament is sometimes called the salt 
of the covenant. I put some uh, references on, the, on your handout uh, to that, but probably the most important one is the one at the end there in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 5, where Abijah stands on a mountain and says to all Israel, Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? So what then is uh, Jesus saying here? I guess he's saying something like this to, to the disciples in front of him. You, you are now God's people in the world now. In all the world, you are the people he is binding together through his enduring and lasting promises. His enduring and lasting promises in a covenant of salt. You are the salt of the earth. And I hope you can see that that then makes sense at the end of the verse. Because, of course, if, we, if that's something that we lose, if we lose that covenant identity, then we are indeed no longer good for anything. Jesus says that that is like salt, which has lost its saltiness and become a contradiction, a foolish absurdity. Now, it might help to know here that in some countries, where you get salt by scraping it from a, from a salt pan or something like that, what you get is a, a mixture of the chemical salt and lots of other impurities there as well. In other words, you could have something in your kitchen labelled salt, but actually because it's old or it's got damp, all the real salt has leached out. And that stuff that's left, as Jesus says, is good for nothing. fit only to be thrown away. And while we might not have that direct experience with salt today, I guess we can certainly have it with other seasonings that have lost their flavour or distinctiveness or identity. That jar of paprika bought in 1983 for a moussaka that didn't go terribly well. Used by date, 1984. Throw it out. Uh, The Five Spice bought for a recipe in the Sunday Times colour supplement, 3rd of September 1993. A dish you have not felt moved to repeat. Throw it out. The curry powder bought for a coronation chicken that was remarkably tasty in... 1977, but since then the jar has got a little bit, you know, lost at the back of the cupboard. Well, it may have been curry powder then, but it isn't curry powder now. Throw it out. Go back home tonight. Get in that cupboard. Clear it out. If you haven't got a cupboard, go around to somebody else's cupboard. (laughs) Clear it out. Challenge your parents, mom, dad. Have you seen the use-by date on this? Have you seen it? And as you clear them out, be warned. If you lose your identity in Christ, you too will be good for nothing. And I hope you're now thinking, yes, yes, I don't want to lose my family identity. I don't want to lose being tied together by Jesus' promises. I really do want to maintain that identity. But how, how can I do it? Please tell me, how can I do it? Well, be patient. Remember that this passage is only an introduction 
In fact, much of the second half of the Sermon on the Mount, this is from chapter 6, verse 1, through to 7, verse 12, is dedicated to how we can maintain our family identity, principally by praying to our Father in heaven, depending upon him exclusively and appropriately. So that's the first thing here. Be motivated first, says Jesus, to maintain your family identity and then be motivated to express your family purpose. Verse 14, you, you are the light of the world. And now that we're reading this as what I've called Matthew 28 disciples, this verse should puzzle us less. This very much connects with what the disciples are commissioned to do at the end of the gospel as they're drawn in to participate in the unfinished work of Jesus the servant. And the illusion here is a little more obvious. This is what the Lord says about his servant in Isaiah chapter 49, uh, verse 6. This is from the other passage we had read to us earlier. The Lord says this, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of, of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. No, says the Lord, I've got bigger purposes for you in mind. I will also make you a light for the nations, for the Gentiles, to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That is what these disciples have now got caught up in. But how ridiculous it would be, says Jesus, to have that as your function and purpose in the world, but not to do it. You should be, he says, like a a city on a hill, visible to the world around you. And if you were meant to be a light uh, to the nations, why would you hide such a light under a bucket or something like that? I mean, just imagine one of you going home tonight, switching on all the lights in your house, but then going around and painting every light bulb with an opaque black paint. That would be strange, wouldn't it? Well, suppose we hear tomorrow that one of you has been appointed to be World Trade Ambassador for Sheffield, and next week we pat you on the back saying, brilliant, what a great job. But then in six weeks' time, we discover that you haven't even stepped out of your house, let alone stepped out of the city. And let me say that it's probably these verses which should really hit us hard tonight. Because I I look out at you, and I think about us as a a church family here in Fullwood, and I I think about myself. uh, And I think if we're honest, we would have to say... We would have to say the light is not shining as it should be. These verses, more than any here, should get us saying, yes. Yes, we do want to fulfill our God-given purpose in the world, but yes, but how? Well, we get to the beginnings of an answer right here in verse 16. I think this is probably one of the most important verses in the whole sermon. Jesus says this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, here's the beginning of Jesus' answer. Behaving well in the world isn't just good in itself, or it, it is that. It is the foundation of the task that we've been given to take light to the nations. It's not the whole answer, 
It's not the whole task, uh, not least because in order for the world to, to see what we do and then to praise God and not us, uh, they're going to have to make some connection between us and God, aren't they? They're going to have to have something of a verbal testimony that roots our changed behaviour in what God has done and in what God has done alone. Uh, so Jesus is going to say more about this later in, in the Gospel of Matthew. There's going to be more teaching later in the Gospel about the verbal proclamation of all that God is doing in the world. Nevertheless, it does seem to be that this is the foundation. Verse 16 does tell us that good deeds play a role in all of this. They perhaps play more of a role than we've sometimes been prepared to accept. And if you're still thinking at this point, yes, but I want more detail on this. Uh, well, again, be patient. Remember that this passage is only an introduction. In fact, the rest of chapter 5 of the sermon is going to be Jesus explaining what this means in practical detail. You want detail? You'll have more detail than you can manage, I think. We're going to be spending the next three weeks thinking this through. So I do hope that your appetite has been properly whetted to tonight uh, by this Jesus' introduction uh, to his sermon. The psychologists tell us that all of us are in the pursuit of some sense of identity and purpose in our lives. They, they tell us that the search for those things is a more fundamental drive in us, in fact, than the pursuit of happiness. Happiness, very often, is something that flows out from identity and purpose. But we've been seeing something tonight greater and bigger than what we would normally call happiness. We're seeing the blessing and and approval of God himself, which flows out from an identity and purpose in his missionary family. And we've been challenged to maintain and pursue that identity and purpose. So whether you would consider yourself uh, more in in the crowd this evening, uh, looking in from the outside, or whether you would consider yourself uh, among the disciples, close to Jesus, tentatively working out what it means to be a Matthew 28 disciple this evening, either way, be encouraged, be motivated. Be encouraged and motivated to find and maintain the only true and lasting identity of any, that any of us can have. Be encouraged and motivated to find and maintain the only true purpose that we can have in the world. I've been a, a Christian now for around 19 years. I, read, I recently spent um, three whole years studying Matthew's Gospel very carefully. It was a wonderful time and yet here I am in front of you tonight still having to learn this and that moment coming down kinder scout having to admit to myself that I that I hadn't quite got this yet it was a deeply humbling almost quite frightening moment and yet I'm very pleased very pleased to be learning this all again because this is such a wonderful thing to learn. It's great to be rediscovering an identity that's all wrapped up in being served by Jesus, that's about being in relationship with Jesus, about being drawn into his family. 
And it's great to rediscover the family purpose, to display to the world the change which that brings about. I don't know about you, but I, but I feel more eager than ever to pursue those things which will bring, bring praise to the head of this great missionary family that we've been drawn into. Praise to our Father in heaven. Well, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be praised. And may you humble us afresh tonight. And as you humble us, draw us deeper into the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has done to serve us through his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins and to find our true identity in him. And we pray that you would send us out afresh tonight with fresh purpose to your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.